could today mark the beginning of the end of the UK lockdown? And does the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle interview really matter? And if so, what does that mean for the monarchy? And good news for print media all around, as Le Monde and others register an increase in sales. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. It's Monday, the 8th of March, and I'm Carlotta Ribello. I'm joined here in Studio One at Midori House in London by Monocle's editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, and by Monocle 24's culture correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Welcome both back to the show. Uh, Fernando, I heard that you decided to explore a new park, uh, at least new for you here in London over the weekend. Where did you go and how was it? Well, it's actually kind of (laughs) a a development, but, you know, it is called... Of the elephant park, and I have to tell you, Carlotta, I'm not, I'm not so good at just going for a stroll. You know, I need something in my mind. I okay. know that's why this is big news. Exactly. So I, I went walking to Elephant and Castle uh, to visit a new plant shop, which I think actually Andrew might know is the new uh, outpost of the Nunghead Gardener. They have oh, a, yes. the new shop there. So you know, I had, you know, I, maybe I need to buy a new plant. <laughs> I mean, it's lovely. I mean, it, it was everything was empty because of the, the lockdown, and then I went for a lovely walk on the north side of um, the South Bank. I guess it's called the North Bank, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's called the North Bank. It's just called the Embankment. Oh, the Embankment. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... How many years in London? 12 years in London, Fernando, when we're still getting basic geography. But but, but that's an interesting thing about the Brits. You know, I am dating a Brit. They love going for a walk and they don't need to go to buy a plant. They can just go for a stroll without, you know, right? (laughs) They love a good walk. (laughs) You're right. I've never thought of, of Brazil not kind of just going for like a, a Sunday walk. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, I think it's, you know, it harks back to really like traditions of old when I guess on a Sunday, especially cities were a bit shuttered. And so what did you do? This was the notion of going window shopping, that people would go and walk around the closed streets and they would look in the window stores, windows, and they would kind of, they would in, enjoy a safe distance, the world of retail where having to get their money out. And that even in cities, this, this notion of promenading, of going out for a stroll has somehow been an inherited from generation to generation so there's still this idea of of wandering and then there's the romantic notion of the flaneur the person who just kind of heads off to meander around paris or london seeing what 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 comes up in front of them but uh maybe it 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 needs a bit of a purpose for you (laughs) we should we should we should make sure there was a kind of like a nice treat at the end of it i find quite pleasant because when i was walking in brazil like my family say what are you doing i said i just went for a walk maybe i'm becoming (laughs) too british (laughs) in that sense that's when the two worlds start to collide for (laughs) that I do like having a purpose at uh, when I go for a walk. I think that's also a very Portuguese thing. But when I'm in a new city, there's nothing I love more than, you know, just walking around. But, you know, after almost nine years in London and a lot of lockdown walks, there's, a, there's only as much as you can do. But Fernando and Andrew, thank you much for joining us here today on The Late Edition. Let's, well, stay in London for our very first story. Today, March the 8th, marks the return to school for the majority of students across England and we are now officially allowed to meet one other person outside of our household outdoors for a walk, a coffee, and even, there I say it, maybe a takeaway drink. Uh, Andrew, this is just step one in an infinite number of steps to regain some sort of normality, isn't it? How, how significant is today's date? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you know, here in the UK, we have over 30% of the population now vaccinated. Now, the UK and England in particular, they don't have a, a great track record up until now of dealing with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. 
and many people feel it was mishandled, you know, whether that was buying PPE or whether we locked down earlier enough. So this time, the government has done two interesting things. One, they locked down hard and early quite fast when other countries were being a little bit more lenient around the Christmas period. And they have put in place this this you know, easing of measures that's going to be incredibly distantly paced out. So we, nothing else really happens for like another 35 days when we will get pubs uh, allowed to serve, for example, drinks outside. But what that's done is it's allowed the numbers to come very low. And uh, they've also chimed in with this, this huge number of vaccines. They're in a pretty strong position. So while it's not that exciting for, you know, for, for me that school kids have gone back and not having any children at school, it does add a little bit more life back on the street. And, and it feels that the first step has been delivered in the return to some kind of normality. And I, I did yesterday look at the numbers you know, in, in France, in, in uh, Italy, in Germany, in Denmark. And you know all of them are, are a bit worrying, and they're all they're all not looking so good. Oddly, in your home country, Portugal, things look pretty good. In Spain, they look pretty good, but even in Greece, it was doing incredibly well. The numbers rising again. So, oddly, not the most exciting thing, but I think this vaccination rollout is um, intriguing. And uh, as I was telling you earlier, I, I came home yesterday and I had a letter through my door said, "It's time to book your um, vaccination, Mr. Tuck." So I, I'm going tomorrow. I get my first one tomorrow, and which is I think amazing is I know when my second one is. It's on May the 25th. So I'm hoping for vaccine passports by June the first because I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. That's lovely. I mean, as soon as you're allowed, get out of here. <laughs> Can I go with you? <laughs> Maybe we need to record a late edition on a Monday from somewhere else for a change. We'll we'll help you with that, Andrew, if needed. Uh, but Fernando, it's interesting what Andrew was mentioning there about you know how other countries are doing because I know you were looking at Paraguay, for example, and how different the the pandemic has been dealt with and how different the numbers are there as well. Well, I agree with Andrew. For me, it's all about the vaccination now. I mean, how what the percentage of the population that have been vaccinated. I'm more curious about that than even the number of cases, you know, because I think, for example, even in Latin America and Paraguay, uh, only 0.1% or even less than that of people have been vaccinated. So there's been a lot of protests in the streets. Uh, three ministers had to resign. I don't know what's going to happen with the president, but the situation is really bad. Paraguay is also one of the poorest countries in South America. So it, it is becoming political. I mean, if people are seeing their leaders not, are not doing enough when it comes to vaccination. And at the same time, I think we discussed this last week here on the late edition. Even when you have an unpopular government like in Chile, but they were quite efficient with the vaccine. So that can help then. That's what happened here in the UK as well. It's a chance for rebranding. Exactly. But I think, you know, gov governments across the world, they have to be careful if they're not doing a good job. For example, we in Paraguay, there's, there's been violent clashes in the streets, people complaining because, the, you know, the health system... You know, it is a little bit of a disaster at the moment, and and it's funny because Paraguay at the big at the first lockdown, they they were very strict. The numbers were quite low compared to the to the region, uh, so it's quite an interesting example to look at. Well, let's turn now to, I guess, what is the hot topic of the day, almost unavoidable, which is the interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. They gave it to Oprah Winfrey last night. It aired in the United States overnight and it's airing tonight here in the UK. But that has meant that this side of the Atlantic woke up to a lot and a lot of news clips, reactions and comments. Fernando, I think this is no surprise to anyone. You stayed up all night to watch the interview. Uh, what were your main takeaways? Well, the main takeaway 
say that I thought as a TV show, it was excellent. Uh, usually with those big interviews, you know, you know, being by Oprah or any other interviewer, you kind of get the point. It was like, I mean, is that it? Uh, you know, but there were so many kind of revelations. And and even the British press, I know that they're, they're obsessed, of course, with the royal family, but a lot of the information that were given by Meghan and Harry, it was kept as a secret. And that's the thing, I was surprised. I mean, I know we will be discussing some of the things they said, but I was like, oh my God, is she really saying this? So as a TV show, I thought it was extremely entertaining, but not just kind of in the funny way, because there was some quite sad and haunting uh, things that were sad as well. And I think Oprah Winfrey, now I kind of understand why she's so respected in the United States. I, you know, I didn't grow up like watching Oprah, but I was like, wow, th- 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 there is something that she does very well uh, with her guests. So, you know, I-, I-, I recommend everyone to watch, even if you're not, if you- even if you say you don't care about the royal family. It, was, it is an interesting uh, two hour there to watch it. Uh, Andrew, what did you make of the interview? Because, you know, whether, as Fernando was saying, you uh, agree or not with the British monarchy as an institution, it is recognized around the world. I mean, hence the success of the likes of the crown. Uh, and that has been an introduction to the monarchy for a lot of people, uh, even though it's a, fiction, a fictionalized series. Uh, but surely this interview n- will have an impact in how the monarchy is perceived around the world. Without a doubt. It, 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 for the royal family, it was a, a, another terrible day in a, a list of many terrible days over recent decades. Um and I don't know in the end how great it is for Harry and Meghan either. It's great to settle scores. You know, we're all tempted to do it. We're all tempted to go out there and make sure that our version of the truth is known. And I think without a doubt that it sounds like many difficult situations were, were faced by Meghan and Harry that led them to take the decision to to relocate to the, to the US. But you know, this drama works on many levels. First of all, there is a family drama. Now, in the, the psychodrama of families, you, you, if, if somebody goes out and says, you know, just a basic thing, you know, that, you know, she made me cry. Now, that's, in a way, I'm sure we've all made one of our family members so frustrated that they've, they've almost been driven to tears. But, you know, if you then go and tell that story in public without the other person have any ability to kind of respond or contextualize it or, or 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 have a comeback then the drama only continues so harry spoke and we we know that there's been a complicated relationship in the past and and obviously with uh because of his mother and the all the things happened but he spoke about the breakdown of the relationship with his father and that he hoped this would heal now i don't know whether going on oprah to say you know i don't get on that well with my dad at the moment is a way to heal that process. In fact, for somebody like Prince Charles, who who I don't know the man, but he comes across as somebody who is 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 quite complicated about his relationships and quite complicated about expressing his emotions. The idea of being called out on American TV for his his perceived failings by his son, I don't think that is is likely mm. to heal. So, on the personal drama, I think it's 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 difficult to see any way back for any of them. They they have made their mark. And you know, on some of the serious things that Meghan have said, you know, yes, they, they they should be dealt with and they should be co- contemplated, and the institution will have to kind of reflect on those. But you know, the other tiny thing before I let Faye, who knows more about this than me, jump back in is, you know, I think this will play in two different ways. I think in the U.S., where they are seen as you know potential Hollywood royalty, 
there's a piece in Women's Wear Daily today saying that the interview potentially has the power to make them a, a billion dollar brand. And let's let's not be naive about this. This is an interview by somebody they know well. They laid down their restrictions ahead. It's it's, it's pretty controlled. They they decided the venue. There's there's not much in there that they will not have approved of. So this is good good PR for them. But the the, the other bigger thing is, and I think this is more for Harry than Meghan, is you know, that it won't play well here, because it won't play well here because many British people feel under attack anyway you know they, they've had brexit they've had a pandemic and the last thing they need is members of their royal family seemingly turning on them and it's it's funny when you look at the media today you know all across the media even in the guardian there were a couple of pieces like hey what 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 is she on about here because this doesn't seem to match the reality the notion that why wasn't their son given the title prince so i think it will play in different ways i think overseas yeah it will play well at home it won't but the irony is they've made themselves you know, the targets of press and paparazzi and snoopers in a way that they never were before. So, again, there's so many ironies in it. Well, let's just uh, hear one of the clips of what I think was one of the most shocking or at least revealing moments from last night. Concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who... Who is having that conversation with you? What? So, um... There is a conversation... Hold up, hold up. There's several right con- now. There are several conversations There's a conversation it. with you... With Harry. ...about how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. Okay. Yes, Carlotta, that was actually one of the first kind of shocking things during her interview. And I have to add, because apparently there's been a statement by Oprah Winfrey saying that, of course, we don't know who said that, but it wasn't the Queen or uh, Prince Philip. That's, that's just being revealed kind of a few hours ago. I mean, it, 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 that was quite a shocking statement. And in one sense, I kind of, agree with Andrew, but for example, I am an outsider. I am not British, but of course I know a lot about Britain. It kind of makes my opinion of the, of the royal family, you know, it wasn't positive, to be honest, but it makes it more negative. And I think, you know, it will play out quite a lot overseas. And I think this will be a loss to the UK because I think the royal family is so attached to the UK. And, I, you know, when you, when you think, say the UK, people say, oh, the crown, the queen... The Queen's actually still a beloved character, you know, in many countries as well. And funnily enough, actually, if you lo- if you look at the interview during two hours, she was the only one who was kind of spared because, you know, Harry said, I still have a great relationship with her. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it is it is an, an interview that will divide people. Only today, you know, I was there, the newsstand, there was four people. It is, it is interesting because from four different races as well, because, of course, race was a big factor on the interview yesterday with different views, you know, like... I am clearly, I have a more negative view of the royal family, but then, you know, there was an Indian man said, you know what, uh, you know, the royal family is a mainstay here of the of the British public. And he was kind of defending them. So there was quite a lot of an impromptu kind of discussion there at the newsstand. And I think this will happen here in the UK. Uh, well, so the race issue is, 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 is important and, and it should be debated and discussed. Two interesting things. She's reporting a conversation from somebody we don't know who can therefore justify what they did or didn't say, 
And it's a reported conversation. It wasn't a conversation that she had. It's a conversation that her husband said. And then when pressed, her husband doesn't want to say who it is either. So it's, you know, it's, it's quite easy whether on any topic to create a kind of uh, a tone. But just tell us what happened then. Don't, don't make it out like, you know, I heard from somebody that somebody said, because then it's very difficult for people in the end. You know, you, know, you, you can do the damage, but you can't make a resolution unless you say, OK, this is what was precisely said. And this is who said it, because then the person can say, actually, that's terrible. I, you know, did I say that? Or, and, or they can say, I didn't say that. But in the moment, it's kind of just creating this kind of mush, which I think is going to be, again, very difficult for people to move on from. Now, because she's cast this, 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 this across the whole family and the whole institution. I don't know how any of them would would be able to deal with that, and it's you know it sets back the work that you know the Queen has done in the Commonwealth for, for generations, and I think sincerely, and the relationships and friendships she's had, it puts uh, you know, uh, uh, puts them in a in a in a in a difficult position. So I, I think that's concerning, and I think you know that I don't know Harry's not an idiot. You know he knows that if he went for the Queen, then he's done for. So you know, yeah, he he may not like her. Who knows? But he would not do that. And you know, and it's it's great to you know pick up people for their failings. Let's just remember one thing: this is the boy who, as a young man, went dressed as a Nazi to a fancy dress party. None of the other members of the royal family have done that. No, none of them have offended Jewish people so much. He thought it was completely acceptable to dress up as a Nazi. Now here he is on TV being holier than than now. Okay, he made a mistake. You know, he was he was accepted for the mistake he had made. The family moved on from that. He humiliated the family. He humiliated a family who had made great sacrifice during the Second World War, and he he made a mockery of that. But they adapted and moved on. But he isn't giving them that chance. So you know, it's I I think he's on very thin ice. And it will be, of course, today. Oprah Winfrey said she was going to release more unseen footage, and I just think at this point it just becomes more of a a fan based thing than actually anything meaningful. And as well as Fernando, we, you know, I'm not from this country. The Queen is held in very high regard abroad in Portugal, particularly. But um, the main trend back there in Portugal about this interview was the similarities, or trying to force the parallel between, you know, the Diana interview. And this one, and that's going into a completely new conversation. Well, no, just two things quickly on that. You know, D- Diana got roasted in that in the end, so that was a different kind of. You know, she didn't really control the, the narrative, and it it, it it she it damaged her afterwards. So I don't think this is in exactly the same way. I think they've been so carefully, you know, careful to control c- control you know the, the narrative about that. But I think the more interesting thing is, it's it's like the new series, a new episode of the, of the Crown. Because, you know, Harry's already said, you know, oh, it's basically true, The Crown, which most royal watchers have said is a great drama. It's not that, that, that close to reality. And it's like the next episode. It's, and that's, that's why people will love it, because they're so drawn into The Crown. It's like, oh, and here's what happened next. And the characters are already set up in, you know, the, the, the colliding of the world of fiction and reality is kind of so perfect at this moment with the crown and this swirling in people's heads. I don't think people will ever be able to pick out what's true and not true about any of these incidents in the future. 
It will completely just change the perception. Well, let's move on now to the final story of our late edition today, where we turn to the world of print media. The French newspaper Le Monde has registered its highest circulation ever, even running an advert saying how they've sold an average of over 430,000 copies per day. It's a 24% increase in sales from last year. Uh, Fernando, always great news to see print media doing well. And regular listeners will know, of course, that you're responsible for the Stack, our weekly podcast looking at the world of print. What do you make of Le Monde's announcement and the advert uh, advert that we have here in front of us? No, I think it's great. I spotted this advertisement and said, oh my God, this is such an interesting story. Uh, Le Monde, one of the main French dailies. And, and then, uh, you know, this number here, 430,000, I believe they are printed issues because if you count the digital subscriptions, it's even more. Uh, I think I believe it's a little bit more than a million. Uh, and it's just a success. I mean, it's been a difficult year uh, for the print industry as we all know. Uh, not, for the, not for the print industry, for the world yeah. uh, in general. Uh, and and, and it, I, I love to see those brands, how resilient they are. Um, I was looking actually the numbers at the French press in general for last year. There was a small drop of 1.5%. But when you look at just the dailies, you know, uh, Liberation, Le Figaro, Le Monde, there's been upticks. For example, the sports dailies, which are a big thing in France, they did decrease because there was not much sport uh, last year. I, I, I just love it. I think it's really great news. And I think other countries as well, slowly countries are releasing their numbers. I think Japan as well uh, proved print proved very resilient, uh, even in 2020, where many people said, oh, my God, we're going to see numbers, uh, you know, going down very fast. Uh, so, yeah, very good news. Yeah, in Japan, apparently, there was a 4.8% increase last year uh, when compared to 2019. Uh, Andrew, do you think this is, you know, a bit of the public falling back in love with print now that they were, you know, forced to stay at home and actually had time during their day to sit down and read a good newspaper or a magazine? Uh, can that be attributed to this increase in sales? Well, you, you hint at something there that's uh, important to remember that, you know, one of the reasons that people have re-engaged with news brands and with um, media again in the way that they have is uh, maybe a triumvirate of things. It's uh, a year of Donald Trump saying crazy mad stuff, which people wanted to read about, a pandemic that threatened everything about the way we live, and a growing feeling that there is so much disinformation out there that people who are attuned to kind of having more nuanced news wanted to find the, the, the kind of close sources of that. And as you're right, people being at home there before because of the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see, as we said at the beginning of the show, now we have no Mr. Trump, will people be less concerned about picking up a newspaper? But hey, it's good. And interesting, I was just talking to Sophie Grove, who um, obviously was our Paris correspondent for a long time. And she was just talking about, you know, also in a city like Paris, you know, the, the vibrancy of the newsstand still, you know, that they have laws in place that to stop you selling too many kind of tourist trinkets you have to sell newspapers you have to sell magazines so in many other cities where very boring uh, chains we won't name them uh, were often shuttered in, in in train stations and airports over the past year in france you still maintain the vibrancy in italy you know, the vibrancy of the, of the of the news kiosk so again there's a there's a, a whole kind of like you know there's a whole kind of a system in place that also helped the newspapers get their readers. Absolutely. And and if I must add about Le Monde in particular, it is a very cool paper. I mean, their weekend edition, they have one of my favorite supplements, the M Le Magazine du Monde, you know, which is, they have incredible fashion shoots. It's just a weekly title. And again, I think this t- tells about investment as well. I think brands that do invest in their print, I think they end up doing well. 
Well, and I, I hope listeners will need a reminder that if they want a really cool print brand, just go over to monocle.com <laughs> forward slash subscribe. Uh, but that's all for today's late edition. A big thank you, of course, to Andrew Tak and Fernando Augusto Pacheco and to our studio managers, Steph Chungo and David Stevens. I'm Carlotta Rebello here in London and the late edition is back at the same time tomorrow.